you. Hello. How are you going? Everybody all right? Yeah. So I was just to say, how are you going, mate? All right? Like, that's the Australian thing to do. Um, I'm blessed to be here and I'm really encouraged to be able to speak today about the unshakable kingdom of God because that's what you guys are paying attention to right now. And I, you know, I'm really passionate about that subject. I feel like God is doing something absolutely different and we can really see that something different's happening, but it's good for us to understand that behind what's happening is the hand of God not that he's making all the terrible things happen, but that he, by his spirit, is doing a new thing. And that's always important for the body to understand. So, Father, we thank you that you care about your world, that you care about us. Lord, I thank you for that song that we sang, that you will never fail, that you will never fail. You won't fail. And so, Father, I pray that as we, by your spirit, reach out to understand what it is that you're doing and saying to the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, in this third decade, in this fourth year of the third decade, when everything is completely different, Lord, that you will enable us to live according to your, your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> so, this is advice to rebuilders because every generation of church is a rebuilder. And I want to say, don't think, oh, generation means the younger ones rising up. If you're breathing, you're this generation, right? So that makes you, this is advice to rebuilders. Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 to 8, it says, On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and to the remnant of the people. So he's speaking to the governing forces, he's speaking to the religious leadership, and he's speaking to the people, to every person. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid, for the Lord of armies says this, Once more, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. Now, at the beginning of 2020, when COVID had just emerged, but we didn't know what it was going to do, I heard the Lord say to me a couple of things. One was... It was one was it will be like in the days of Noah when everybody was just getting on with their business and then all of a sudden they got slammed. And then the second thing that I understood him to say was the church of 2020 and the church of 2030 is not going to look anything like each other, anything like itself. So in April 2022, the World Economic Forum 
published a report detailing the 10 greatest challenges of this decade. And one of them, the social one, was social cohesion erosion, which means that people like us, people, solid, cohesive people groups like churches began will begin to erode and become fragmented. Now we're into that fourth year of the decade and radical change is absolutely normal in the world right now, which is why the Lord repeatedly said in that scripture, be strong and don't be afraid, get to work. So when we see the signs of change and tumult, we have to know that we, every one of us, is planted into the places that we live and work right now for such a time as this, and it's important that we stay alert. Yesterday, Pastor Matt was speaking about how we are planted into the cosmos. It was a fantastic message and really worth listening to. But what we're planted into the place that we are now because the Lord has a role for us. Now, a, a verse, not a verse, but a quote that I really love is don't wait for the rush of the arrow, listen for the creak of the bow. And I've been paying attention to that little quote for a few years now because it's very easy for us not to hear the creak of the bow before the arrow comes. It's very easy for us to be taken by surprise and then all of a sudden we're hit by all these flying arrows, which is what has happened to the Western world very much in the last few years since 2020. We've been hit by all these flying arrows. But in actual fact, we are a people like the sons of Issachar that, that were part of David's crew that are called to understand the times and know what the church needs to do. So we need to be a people who hear the creak of the bow and think there's an arrow coming, I need to take action before it arrives. Now, it's very hard for us to accept change. We want life and church to be the way it always was and we very easily default to become discouraged and disenchanted because we see all around us things aren't going the way that they used to go. And so a lot of people have just stopped going to church, not realising that you can stop being in church, but you can't stop being the church. If you love the Lord, you're still the church. And if you're not there in the church, the deficiencies that are so easy for us to point out are partly because you're not there. And that's a really important thing for us all to understand. We need to realise that the call of God on our lives is to be His people in every season. And looking to him to understand the new challenges rather than just complain and look for people to blame. Every Christian is called to serve God in this new season. There's a, a, another quote that I really like that says, In a world of change, the learners shall inherit the earth, while the learned will find themselves perfectly suited to a world that no longer exists. Whatever we learned about what used to be is no longer relevant. And one of the greatest ways to be able to stay on point is to be able to rapidly unlearn what we thought was totally inviolable and relearn what is new. I don't know if you, you know, if you used to use an adding machine and then you had to learn to use a computer. If you had to learn to use a fax machine and then you, you had to learn to work with email, you know, some of the older people, the rest of you, you don't even know what we're talking about. You're like, wasn't email always here? 
Um, in fact, I can remember saying to somebody a number of years ago, he was telling me about email, and I was like, I don't know, Emil, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's going to last. <laughs> now I am glued to my computer and I get up at three o'clock in the morning sometimes just to answer emails. Okay, so we don't realise how much we learned about being church instead of about following Jesus. And so when things are shaken, we look for people to blame instead of finding where Jesus is and going there. And so what happens to people who are doing that is that we look back instead of forward and we don't understand that our call is to to the world that we are in now not the world that we were in in 1999 or 2019. We're in a different world and it's changing very quickly. So every season for Christians is one of rebuilding, not of building. Ezra chapter 3, it starts with verse 10 to 13 and it says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with their trumpets and the Levites, son of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. This is the bit. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple. Remember the last scripture that I, I read talked about the fact that Haggai says, you've seen this, is it anything like what it used to be? And right here at this point, we see that it says that they'd seen the former temple and so they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this new temple being laid and then many other people shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of the weeping because the people made so much noise and the noise was heard far away. Now, for millennia, God did not have a specific home on earth. He lived everywhere. And then he gave instructions to Moses about a box that was to be in a tent. And he lived in a box in a tent for a very long time. Now, after that, Solomon built the temple. And God lived there and the temple was absolutely magnificent. And so God lived there in splendour. But that splendorous place was not enough to keep the people from beginning to go and worship other gods. And within a few hundred years, that amazing temple was destroyed. So when the builders returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, they were multi-generational. So some of them had seen the previous temple and they knew what it was like. But other people were just wanting to build a place of worship and they'd never seen the original. The ones who'd seen this feat of engineering and splendour realised that they, who were unskilled workers with families and jobs and bills to pay, working on a, um, a shoestring budget, didn't know what they were doing, would never be able to build anything comparable to that astonishing temple. But what they weren't thinking about was the fact that Solomon had a bottomless pit of money and he had the muscle of hundreds of thousands of enforced labourers and he had resources to build the most magnificent place of worship that the world had ever known. So 
By contrast, these new builders are restricted. They've got lack of resources, lack of money. Uh, they don't have any skilled labour. They've got perfumers and all that kind of thing working there. And they also don't have enough time. They're dedicated, but there's conflict in their team and there's aggression from outside the team. And let me just say this to you about conflict in the team. Because Paul says to us, fight the good fight of faith to which you were called. But there's a really damaging thing that happens in all of us in which if we are not fighting a good fight of faith, we will fight among ourselves. And that brings the rebuilding down. And that was what was happening here. And so the building was stopped several times. And when they finally got to celebrate the completion of the building, some of them were grief-stricken and some of them rejoiced. Now, when Jesus talks about putting new wine into new wineskins, it's because he's compassionate. He knows how much we prefer the old and the safe and the comfortable, how deeply we remember or even manufacture an idea of the glory of what was without actually really understanding the cost of what was. So the nation had paid dearly for that temple that Solomon had built, he used enslaved people without mercy. Hundreds of thousands of them, many of them died. The nation was taxed to the hilt because of Solomon's triumphs that he wanted to build. And we see that when his son Rehoboam um, inherited the kingdom because the, the leaders, the civic leaders came to him and said, can you just lessen the tax burden? We're just overwhelmed. Can you just make it a bit, little bit less? And the guy just chose to refuse and he lost more than 90% of his kingdom in one fell swoop because he didn't understand that actually what Solomon had required of his people was not something that God was saying anything about as far as the building of his temple is concerned. Because <clears throat> when what we don't understand is that God didn't ask for that beautiful temple. It was a vision that David had and David loved it and Solomon carried it out. But God never asked for that. He doesn't ask that we build a place for his glory. He has his own glory. He brings it with him. We can't add to it by our pitiful little efforts. All we can do is go and stand in his glory by being in the house of the Lord, by being worshippers, by being people who are looking to the Lord. And so God had been willing to live in a box, in a tent. And he is willing to live in our heart. It was never about the temple. It was never about a building. When the people celebrated, it was because they felt like we've got a place where God can be worshipped. And when the people wept, it was because they thought that the building was about the rituals, but they didn't understand. It's just about the God that they built it for. And so where we go and where we are isn't relevant to how well we can worship God and, and how we can gather together. When we gather together, we stand in the glory of God. That's when we gather together in the, in the church at home, we stand in the glory of God. When we, when we draw ourselves away from that, it's true we can still stand in the glory of God, but we miss so much about what God is doing. Now, we need buildings because we don't want to worship outside in the cold and the rain and the sleet and the hurricanes and, in my case, in the heat of the day. 
It's, this isn't about buildings. It's about our default toward what used to be and what we used to love and our, our default to weeping because what we doing now doesn't compare to what we did before. But the work of the church is for every Christian representing Jesus Christ in his kingdom, in building his kingdom for this generation, whatever this generation looks like. Not that we can look and say this generation spends too much time on its iPhones or this generation is entitled or this generation is whatever. No, none of that. We call to this generation. So in, in the back in the 50s or in the 1850s or in the 1250s, there was still a set of things where people could say, oh, that's not really the way it ought to be. But the fact is the church of Jesus Christ is called to the communities that is here now. Whether we think oh, it's right or it's wrong, we're n- that's not what we're called to do, to tell it whether it's right or wrong, but to be Jesus. And so if we're representing Jesus in building this his kingdom for this generation, What are the struggles that our generation is faced with? What are the questions that people are asking? If Jesus was here, right here now, would he be arguing in Parliament about whether people should be allowed to wear crosses to work? Or would he be outside in the cold supporting the homeless community, having coffee with his gay neighbour, making sure that his disabled friend gets to work? Each of us is made in his image and called to work with him in order to build the kingdom of God. And it's one of my favourite scriptures is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. It says, his purpose was that now, so everybody say now. now. So now actually means 22nd of January, is it? 20, 22nd of January at 11.38 and 12 seconds. Right now, through the church, so who is the church? We are the manifold wisdom, that means multifaceted, diverse, all different kinds of ways. Wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purposes that He accomplished already in Christ Jesus our Lord. So each one of us needs to look for what God is doing now in terms of me and what I can do and what my passion is and what I'm called to. I had a fantastic talk yesterday to Denise about working into the disability community and she's got reasons for that. But the fact that she's got reasons is only part of the shaping because God's calling her now to, and many of you, you, we all have those different calls on our lives. So We need to be finding out what Jesus is doing now in terms of what I can do and fall in with that. And I have realised in the last few years that God relates a lot more with people who are asking questions that don't yet have answers than the ones who have all the answers and they can't be questioned. So our old answers tend to be fixed. They're set in concrete. And when that happens, God's heart is no longer contained in them because God is always doing a new thing. When Peter was fasting and praying on the roof and um, he's trying to know the way forward and, and those, that sheep came down with the unclean animals three times and God says to him, I want you to eat that. And he's like, I have never eaten that and I am never going to eat that. And God says to him, don't call unclean what I have called clean. But in the previous, in the Old Testament, 
God had called it unclean. And now he's saying, but I'm changing now. I'm doing something different now. And so it's absolutely vital for us. We want to follow the rules, but God wants us to follow him. So Luke, you know, Luke chapter 10, verse 27, it says, Jesus says, when somebody said to him, how are we really going to really be proper Christians? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And then love your neighbour as yourself. And even in the Old Testament, it says, you know, he's told you, oh human being, how to, how to follow your Lord. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. We are taking too much time on a whole lot of stuff that is just rules and it isn't how God wants us to be with the community. So people who are invested in the thriving of life-giving churches must grapple with the issues in the communities that we are serving, right, so that we can understand not just where we are now but what the way forward is. For the first time in millennia, Christians in the West are facing the earth-shattering reality that we are not the norm as far as Christianity is concerned. The most normal Christian in the world is an African woman living in the African continent around 30-something years of age. The next one is in Southeast Asia. The next one is in South America. And we, the Western church, are the smallest and weakest church across the globe. We're also the richest, which means as siblings, we don't understand and we probably just want to change the channel when we find out what's happening to Christians in other parts of the world. It's not that we didn't have a warning. We've seen things happening with churches. It's not a bad thing, to be perfectly honest, because a lot, to a great degree, many people who have called themselves Christians have called themselves Christians because they were baptised and because there's no other option. We're coming away from that now. Now we, it's not that the, that the church is declining. It is that people are really either deciding I am Christian or I am not Christian. And that's a good thing because it means we can reach the world out there who may have been baptised when they're a baby but have no relationship with Jesus, we can reach those people because the distinction between us and them is so much greater. And so there's a new church developing. I mean, I love the idea of you guys with your church at home and also with, with the Zio communities. It's, you know, I love the fact that Matt has been looking into what is the future rather than how can we maintain and so I think, like, that's incredibly important and I wish I had time to, to really speak to you about why it's important to get on board and understand what it is that this church is doing. But I do want to say this to you, that future church is developing even now. And it's developing with the young. It's developing with the unsung. And the unsung are the people that are not important as far as everybody else is concerned and they're not up on the major platforms and they're not talking to thousands of people. So 
Nobody really knows they're there, but they are there and they're bringing newness to church. People with an eye to the future instead of to the past. Older people like me who can look and say, yep, some of that was really good, but a lot of it didn't work and we have to change. People who are investigating and propagating and investing into new ways of being church. And that is being formed in the small places and the dark spaces without fanfare, but with great courage. They're messy. They're unprofessional. They're not slick. But the authenticity of the hopes that are carried within that and the genuine care for each other and the genuine love for God covers a multitude of lack covers a whole lot of stuff that we don't have. People who used to sit in the pews and wait to be fed are now looking for ways to bring the kingdom of God into their community. And that is powerful because God wants to live among his people. The one who who became so tiny that he could take up residence in the womb of an unwed teenage mother doesn't need fancy premises. A heart is enough. Willingness is enough. The presence of God has never been and cannot be contained in a building. It's not enrobed in our worship formats. Those things are only vehicles through which we have clarity on what we're doing and where we're doing it and how. But the who and the why are invisible because their worship resides in the heart's of the people and only God knows whether we're worshiping him or whether we're worshiping our format, our music, our lifestyle, our standpoint, our values and our culture and it's very easy for us to conflate our Christianity with our culture and think that they're one and the same. I love this scripture in the amplified Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1 it says The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the humble and afflicted. How does he do that? He can't, he's a single, he's a single person. He does it through us. He's anointed me, Jesus, to be in each one of us so that the humble and the afflicted can not just hear the good news, but experience the good news by the way that we relate. He sent me to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, to proclaim release from confinement and condemnation to the physical and spiritual captives and freedom to prisoners. Isaiah 61 is a song of God's determination to right wrongs, to heal wounds and to free prisoners. And all through the Bible, if you once you start to read it with an eye to what God is saying about how his church needs to be and how his people need to be to the condemned and marginalised, it's amazing how many Many times he focuses on that and we don't. And that's very significant in the time that we live now because he is highlighting to his people what is important to him. This scripture is, is probably is incredibly powerful because so much of what we thought was important has been shaken away and we're left with a whole lot less maybe than we had. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 to 29. His voice shook the earth then, but now he's made a promise. 
Still once more I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. The words still once more reveal the removal of what is shaken, the things that are part of this creation, so that what isn't shaken will remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us continue to express our gratitude. With this gratitude, let us serve in a way that is pleasing to God with respect and awe, because our God really is a consuming fire. I've read that scripture a lot of times in my life. It's only just been in recent times that I've seen that he has said, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us continue to express our gratitude. That means being grateful for the things that are shaking away that were not the kingdom. Maybe they're our tradition, maybe they're our rituals, maybe they're our comfort, maybe they're our self-medication. But those things aren't there anymore for us to fall back on. And so he says, firstly, he says, be receive it with with gratitude and then he says then start serving the Lord in a way that's pleasing to him because our God is a consuming fire and those things that are no longer relevant that aren't relevant to what the kingdom needs to look like to this world which is terrified so we as a people cannot be terrified we have to hold to this thing in this time of shaking such as we've never experienced before we need to not get sidetracked into blaming or being afraid that scripture tells us and all through the bible tells us to be strong over and over again and the reason for that is because it acknowledges that the church today will not look like how it's looked for a long time but that we are to be strong and to work Toward what? Toward what Jesus is doing among us, teaching English to refugees, gathering blankets for the homeless community, caring for the elderly in their homes, teaching sewing or cooking or computer skills or mechanic skills or whatever to people who need it. And so for us, asking God what he's doing now so that now through the church, the kingdom of God can be shown. One of the things I said, I'm finishing now, but I just want to say one of the things that I said yesterday is that if I go to London, I can't go back home to Australia and say, I just saw England because I didn't see the Lake District and I didn't see Yorkshire and I didn't see the Dales and I didn't see, you know, Bath and Stratford-on-Avon and all those amazing, Cornwall, those amazing places that you all know, that I've, some of which I've never seen. Although I would like to say, how many of you have been to the caves under Nottingham? Because I've been there three times and I bet there's hardly anybody here who's been there. But anyway... <laughs> I can't say that because London is only the capital of England. It's not England. And the church of Jesus Christ is the capital of the kingdom of God. But it's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is out there. The kingdom of God is looking after the homeless people. The kingdom of God is inviting people around to your place who don't seem to have any friends. The kingdom of God is having coffee with your gay neighbour. The kingdom of God is making sure that the people that are really struggling with disabilities are helped and supported. 
The kingdom of God is outside of the church, not inside of the church. And so asking God what he's doing now so that now through the church, God can show what it is to be his people in a world that is absolutely terrified and also is fragmenting. So do you know, I know that in Australia, we just added 11 new billionaires to our number of billionaires. I don't know how many were already there. We've, what I understand is the rich are getting very, very, very much richer and the poor are getting very, very, very much poorer. And the Church of Jesus Christ is called to be the now, to show the kingdom of God that we can be a brave new church, unafraid of change and hardship, but we can be bold and free because the God we worship is contained in us and not in our building. Father, in the name of Jesus, this is hard for us. I want you to know, Lord, none of us find this easy. It's pulling at us intellectually. It's pulling at us emotionally. It's overwhelming. And Lord, the feeling of fear is really tempting to go in that direction. And yet you, Lord, you have said to us to be strong. You've told us not to be afraid. You've said to us, but work, work. Even though it doesn't look how it used to look, I want you to work because I will be with you in it. And Father, we pray, Lord, I pray for each of us. I include myself in this. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over every area in my life and in our lives that says, it's not enough. I don't have enough. I'm not good enough. It oughtn't work. It can't work. I break the power of that off us as a people. And I command, Lord God, that you by your Spirit, I'm not commanding the Lord, just get that. Lord, I command that you by your Spirit will so infiltrate who we are that, Lord, we will manifest your presence and your power now, Lord, that the church of Jesus Christ will be seen, will be will be understood, will be operated in because the people are the good news, that we will go and be the good news because we're in it together. Lord, that we will show this world we're in it together and Jesus is over and above. He will not fail. He will not fail. Lord, let us grasp that as each individuals. Let us grasp it and know that You have called me to go forward and do what you want the church to be in this new season. In Jesus' name, Amen.